Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We're taught in America from an early age that if we think we can, we can overcome obstacles and achieve more than we thought possible. Founding pastor Randy Pope brings us this sermon entitled, The Deceit of Willpower, Appropriating the Power of the Holy Spirit, which covers Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. What a privilege to, uh, to be here in this space again. I, uh, I know that many of you have got to wonder, it's been, what, two and a half years now since the, uh, the transition took place where uh, Jeff and the, the leadership and so forth, and I still on staff, but uh, no longer the, uh, the pastor. And you, you got to wonder, uh, what, how do I think Jeff is doing? You know, is he, uh, is he doing a good job or not? You know, I'd love to have a report on him. So uh, let me just say, uh, outside of being a terrible boss, he is a, he's doing a good job. No. <laughs> Actually, I, I say this because I, I want to tell you, you don't understand the job of a pastor. I will assure you, you do not understand. Most pastors don't understand until they get in the job, what the job really is. And I'll, I'll assure you that uh, what happens here on Sundays in the preaching of God's Word, as important as it is, it's not the main part of the job. Uh, there are so many aspects that you would never see, but with me being still at our, our prayer gatherings and all the staff gatherings, stuff that I'm a part of, and seeing him in a day-to-day role, I will assure you, uh, he is doing a fabulous job. If I had to give him a grade, it'd be an A++++. So I mean that. So the reality is, yeah, you, you are in good hands. Things are, are really, truly uh, going well, and I am so very thankful for that. Now, uh, as my boss, he tells me what to preach on, so he did. He said, this is what I want you to preach on, and so forth. And I, if I had any pushback to what I'm preaching on, it's that I have, uh, so many people in this church have heard this. They've heard it from me. If they're in journey groups, they're hearing it hopefully every year. They're getting it uh, beyond all of the truths. This has got to be something everybody truly gets and holds on to. Uh, but he said, I, I want you to preach it again. It's been a while. I want, you to, I want you to preach it again. But it's the text you've just seen in Romans. And you know that it's been my practice. Many of you would know that uh, about every five years, I make the loop from Romans 1 all the way through uh, chapter 8. And then I go back to chapter 1. And I've done that for, you know, multiple decades because I believe that the foundations of Romans are the most important teachings that Christians can have. They've got to understand the book of Romans. So uh, this is a text that uh, of all of the Romans teaching, I go back to over and over and over again. Uh, For me personally, there is nothing more important than how do you appropriate the power of God's spirit as we find it it, uh, taught in Romans chapter six, Uh, so important. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna state, uh, make three statements of truth, two of which are going to be the first two very, very simple truths. They're truths that I hope every believer has already understood, but it'll be a foundation to where I build on number three, where we go to our text. So the first two will be extremely brief. Here they are. Let's jump into them. Uh, The first one reads like this. There are two kinds of people in the world, two kinds of people. Now, let's see if you know what they are. 
I'm going to give you the first type of people, all people, one or the other. The first type by name is called the natural man. And so not out loud, but in your mind, can you, can you say who the second man, meaning mankind, men and women alike, but natural and then the other, whether you would know it or not, it's spiritual, natural and spiritual. Let's go to the natural man. The natural man is in someone. The Bible talks about all these natural people. They're in someone. Would you know who that person is? It's Adam. They're in the likeness of Adam is what it's saying. In the likeness of Adam. Now, the person who is the natural person has how many natures? Do you know how many natures that person has? You need to know. One nature. One nature, all right? It's a sin nature. We call it the old nature, the nature of sin. Uh, let's go to the spiritual person. The spiritual person is also in someone, meaning in the likeness of someone. Do you know who they are in the likeness of? The answer is in Jesus. We are in Christ. You see it in scripture over and over. We are in Christ, in the likeness of Christ. In that now we are going to have not one nature, but two natures. So in summary, natural people, all the non-believing people, may be religious, may say they're Christian, doesn't matter, but they're not truly believers they're called natural people. They could be moral, immoral, religious, irreligious. But all the people that are natural, they're in the likeness of Adam. They are bound as a slave to one nature, their nature of sin. All right? And then there is the spiritual person. Again, just summary. The spiritual person. The spiritual person is, represents all believers, struggling young believers to the most godly of people. We're all in the same category. We are spiritual people. We are in the likeness of Jesus. And we have two natures. We have not replaced natures. We have an old nature and we have a new nature. And those two are constantly in war and battle with one another. That is Romans chapter 7. You'll understand it when you know these are the basics. All right? So that's number one. Number two of our truths reads like this. There are two certainties true of every spiritual person. So I don't care if they're godly, godly, godly people. If they're brand new believers, struggling believers after many years. doesn't matter. A true spiritual person, they are going to have two things true about them. Number one, they are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, as Ephesians 1 says. Meaning the Holy Spirit has come into their life Explain that. Can't do it. It's mystical. It's a union. We call it the mystical union. It's us and his spirit, and we are united together. We're united. So the people that we're talking about here who are true believers, they are all, we are all sealed with God's Holy Spirit. Here's how it reads in Ephesians 1.13. It says, in him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
Having also believed, which means trusting, not just believing academically, but trusting, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So, all right, we're filled. But number two thing we need to know, it says that we are capable of being filled with the Spirit. By the use of the word capable, I'm suggesting to you, which is the truth of Scripture, is that not all Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why we struggle the way we struggle. It's not the fact that we have struggles because we're not filled. It's we deal with our sinful struggles in the wrong way and very often do not conquer the sin problem. And it's a battle that many of us are losing. And there's nothing more important. I mean, nothing more important for us to understand and embrace is how do you appropriate the power of God's spirit? And once you understand that, it becomes a different Christian living. Now, if you go to uh, Ephesians 5:18, here's where we read about the filling. It says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. So we're admonished by Paul in this book of Ephesians. He says, look, you, you Christians, you got to be filled. You need to be filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I wonder how many people, us included, go, well, what does that mean to be filled? How do you get filled? Well, you know, explain that. That's what this message is about. Hopefully every person today, as you leave, every person will understand, oh, that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So, Keep in mind, we're capable of being filled with spirit. Galatians 5, 16, it goes a little bit further, kind of in the description, because it says this. Actually, I don't have this up. It says, walk in the spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Oh, what are the desires of the flesh? I don't know. You tell me. What's your sin problem? Whatever it is, that's the desire of the flesh. The flesh, the old sinful nature, it wants to do the very things that are dishonoring to God and destructive to us. And we battle thinking, oh, but I want to do those things that are dishonoring to God. I want to do those things that destroy me because I I'm still believe in that they'll be the best thing that could happen to me. And we sin and we sin and we sin. In that same chapter, in the book of Galatians chapter five, just a few verses down, still in the same context, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, that means that which comes about as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, are these. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, you cannot find a sin that you are struggling with. I can't find a sin that I'm struggling with that that fruit wouldn't take care of if I had that fruit. How do I get that fruit? I've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Another way of saying it, I have to appropriate the power of God's Spirit by being filled. Now, I want you to just think about how critically important this subject is. I, I'm sure there are many of us here that lay awake at night in the midst of hard times. Maybe the hard time that we're going through is relational. Maybe someone has hurt us so badly, have been so mean, have just inflicted pain beyond pain beyond pain. 
And they seem to not care what they've done to you. And, and, and you're so hurt. You lay in bed, and you toss, and you go, I, if I'm honest, God, I hate this person. I just hate them. And then it comes to memory. Oh, God says that we're to love our enemies. And how many times we let it say, I can't love them. I can't love them. How many times I've dealt with people in this church over the years, men and women that are believers in Christ and follow Christ in, in most, most ways you would seem apparent that they're, but, but their marriage is just a horrible marriage. And when speaking to them, so what's the problem? I can't love him. I can't love her. I just can't do it. Oh, well, that's where we end up. I, I would love to love, but I just can't. Or maybe you're in bed at night and it's, it's not the love issue that's missing. Maybe for you, you're, you're laying there and the situations of life are so desperate that you're defeated, you're discouraged, maybe you're depressed. And I'm not talking about a chemical depression, I'm talking about circumstantial. It's just the way this has hit you, you just can't deal with it. It's just more than you. And then all of a sudden you realize what God says in his word that Christian be joyful and all things rejoice. But what? I, but I, I can't. I can't do that during this time. Look what I'm dealing with. No, I just can't do that. Or maybe it's an issue. You're laying there in bed and it's, a, it's an issue of anxiety, worry. It's like, oh, look what, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay the bills. I, I don't know what's going to happen to my children. I don't know what's going to happen. Look at what my child, child is doing right now. Look what they look at. Look at, look at, and all these things come by and you say, I just can't. And then it comes to memory. Oh, God says, Peace I'll leave with you. Have peace. You know, I don't know how. I, I just can't do it. Well, that's the good news. You at least know you can't do it. But God says, that's why I give you a power source. So that when you can't do it, and you can't, then I can do it. It's him working in us through the filling of his spirit. I wonder this. How many times, how many times have you met something in your existence where you say, I just can't do it? And maybe the verse of scripture in 1 Corinthians 10 haunts you a bit when it says, There is no temptation taken you, but which is common to man. And God will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able. But will, with the temptation, will make a way of escape. And you say to yourself, and you beat yourself up saying, what's wrong with you? I, I don't find any way of escape. Either that's not true or what's wrong with me? I cannot find escape. What is the escape? Well, it's through the power of God in us. That is the answer. I wonder if I were to ask you this question, not to answer out loud, but say, when's the last time you consciously appropriated the power of God's Spirit? Would you say, was it yesterday? Mm -hmm. Was it, has it been a week or a month? Mm -hmm. 
Maybe some of us say, I don't remember consciously doing that. Well, if there's never a time that we remember doing it, or it's been a long time since we have, if we understand what this means, then it says we've got to come back to this great truth. God has sealed us, and we are capable of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Can't illustrate it probably any better than uh, one of our security guards who's been here for many years. His name is Brian. Some of you know Brian. And Brian and I arrived at the church. This is years ago. Arrived at the church the same time. I in my car and he on his bicycle. Well, it was early morning. I didn't know where he'd come from. And I said, well, did you ride from your home to get here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do it every day. I said, really? <laughs> Tell me, where do you live? Well, he told me where he lived and I know where. And I go, Wow a lot of big hills and so forth. I said, man, I am impressed that you can do that day after day here and then back home. That is amazing. He said, don't be amazed. I said, why is that? He said, look at my bike. Now this was years ago. Keep this in mind. I look at the bike, handlebars, pedals. Okay. It's sturdier than most bikes maybe, but what, what, what about it? He said, you see that little box? Well, you know what it is. It's an electric bike. First one I'd ever seen. Never seen an electric bike before. Didn't know there was such a thing. He said, that's a motor right there. I said, a motor? He said, yeah, you see that little thing on the handlebar? You flip that up and takes off by itself. I get to a big hill, takes me up. I'm, I'm there. Don't be impressed. I went, wow. But immediately it hit me, what a great illustration of your and my life. What happens to us as Christians? We love the Lord, and we know what God has done for us, and perhaps we wake up in the morning and spend time with him and say, oh God, thank you that in your grace and your mercy, your kindness, you have redeemed me. God, what you have done, look what you've done. You've, you went to Calvary's cross, Jesus, and Father, you sent your son and allowed him to hang on that cross to die, to be separated from one another, and all that you have done to save people like me Oh God, today, I just want you to know I love you and I'm so thankful for you and what you've done and I'm going to obey you today. I'm going to obey, obey, obey. That's my commitment to obey you. Well, you start out in life and the first thing that happens in the early morning, maybe you hit that hill of temptation, a unique temptation that you struggle with and you hit that and you say, Lord, I, I told you I was going to obey and I'm going to, so here we go and let's get it going as fast as you can. Maybe you don't get halfway up the hill till you fall to temptation. And then what do you do? When you fall, you say, oh God, please forgive me. I am so sorry. I will not do this again. And tomorrow when I hit this hill, I will make it to the top. I will endure. I will not sin. And so you see that hill coming. You're prepared and you start going faster earlier and you get as much speed as you can. You get up a little further, but you still can't make it to the top. And it happens again the next day until finally after saying, oh God, tomorrow, tomorrow, oh God, tomorrow, tomorrow, finally you say, I'm not going to say that to him again because I know what's going to happen tomorrow because I can't get up there. And right then we say, I quit. I quit trying. I don't know where God is. I don't know why, but I can't. Well, the reason is because we're not appropriating the power of God, but what we are doing is in a very intense way, we are maximizing our willpower. And willpower is an opposition to God's power. We've missed it. 
the whole way through. So that takes us to our third statement. And here is the third and final statement. This is where we look at our Romans text. Says there are three important words in Romans 6, 1 through 13 that give understanding to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I wanna walk through these three words that you find in our text, and it, I, I can't obviously go through every detail. In fact, if I did, if I walked through all the details and did it as clearly as I could, you'd get a lot more truth and wouldn't understand anything. I mean, you'd be overwhelmed. I don't remember what to remember. I don't remember. It's, I'm gonna make it simple. These three words truly unlock the meaning of the text. I think you'll get what you need. I'd love to see you go back, maybe today on the Lord's day, spend some time reading this again in full, in light of what you've heard. But the three words are these. The first word is the word know. K-N-O-W, know. And here it's found in three verses. First of all, verse three, let's read it. It says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized in his death. I'm not gonna explain all that, but just remember, we've been baptized into his death. Verse six, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And then we jump to verse nine. Knowing, there it is again, used each time, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. So there they are. Now, I think to really understand, you've got to go into to chapter, or to verse six, a little bit deeper. So I'm going to laser in on it for a quick minute. Let's put it back up. It says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Now, were I to ask you, and I'm gonna spare you the embarrassment, because I asked in the early service, and it did, I think, everybody had the wrong answer, I think, so why would I wanna do that to you? <laughs> Let's make sure we get this, all right? What, what is the old self? If I were to ask, the typical answer I'm gonna get, I don't care where I preach this, wherever I teach it, it's the sin nature. I say, no, it's not. It actually is not the sin nature. This thing, the old self, it's Randy before he became a Christian. You'll never see him again. He's been crucified. I can never go back and be pagan Randy. I can't do that. It won't happen. Oh, I can sin and I can disobey, but I'm not going back to being the old self. But now it says, I, that's been crucified with him in order that our, now there's your nature of sin. It's the body of sin. That that sin nature and these are horrible words here in terms of it's not accurate in a translation. Might be done away with. In fact, if you have a good study Bible, you'll see in the margin and it'll say, actually, and every time I see that, I said, why don't you put this in there then? You know what? But actually, it, it, means, it means literally to be rendered powerless. That's a lot of difference in being rendered powerless and being gone, done away with. A lot of Christians believe that there's a swap. The new nature takes place, the old nature's gone. That's not true. That's Romans chapter seven, the war between the two. But in order that our sin nature might be done away with, why? So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Not that we're not gonna sin, but we're not gonna be slaves to sin, not in the same way whatsoever. To understand that, here's how I would have to suggest. If you go to verse five or, or verse three, when we started and go through those first verses that we looked at, 
you're going to see that it begins by saying that we have died to sin. We've died to sin. And then you go to verse five, which we didn't look at, but it says there that we have not just died to sin, but we've been united to Christ. That's the idea of being baptized with him. And then it says that we've been raised up with him in verse nine. So we know that, okay, those are the things we need to know. Well, what do you mean by that? We need to know it. Here's my best example. Let's use this left hand of mine, and my fist represents me. This is Randy right here. It's you. What happens at conception is that this hand will be representing my old nature. I am conceived in that old nature. I'm literally, it's, it's united. I cannot, I cannot change that. I might be a moralist. I might be religious. I might be whatever. I don't care. It's still all in sin because it's wrong motives. It's, there's no spiritual truth to it. It's just here, this is me. But then something happens. By the grace of God, I die to sin. This is what it means. Death means separation, right? Body and soul separate. We call it death. This is the death we die. Boom, the two are separated at conversion. When we go from being a natural man to a spiritual man, boom, we're now divided. Still in me, but, but both are there, all right? They're now separated. I'm no longer a slave to this sin. Now, keep this here, because it's gonna stay there, but I need a third arm, I don't have one, so let's picture now my third arm coming here. With a, here I am. Now, at this same time, this is the Holy Spirit. Now I'm united with him. I've, I've died and I've been united with him forever and ever and ever. And I've been raised up to a new quality of life. That's the teaching of the text. It's as simple as that. Well, to maybe best understand that picture, think about a pirate's ship. And a pirate ship has an old captain, mean captain, uh, he's Captain Jones. Captain Jones has no care for the well-being of any of the pirates. It's all about him. And as they mingle and talk about how they hate this, this old Captain Jones, they realize there's no one on the ship who sides with him. So why not mutiny? So they decide, okay, tonight at midnight, we'll storm his cabin and we'll make him walk the plank. But they say, we got to have a new captain. Who would it be? Well, everybody knows it's Captain Smith. Captain Smith is the kindest, best leader, the most, oh, he'd be perfect, okay? Captain Smith, you're the new captain. You're in charge. And now it comes time to get the old captain out of his quarters. They do, they're about to make him walk the plank, and the new captain says, ah, no, 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 don't, don't make him walk the plank. We got three days till we hit port. He can't do anything. He's been rendered powerless. He has no weaponry that can defeat us, that can't really beat us. Oh, he's got his mouth, he's got his stuff, but you know, don't worry about it. Let, let's let him go, let him walk around, it doesn't matter. And then when we hit port, we'll put him out and we'll go off, sell off forever and ever without him. So he says, look guys, you need rest. So enjoy yourself, play your games, sleep, get, some, get, get caught up on some good times, okay? And everybody's thrilled. So as they're laying around and playing games and doing what they're doing, here comes old Captain Jones. He turns the corner, he sees a group, these pirates just doing nothing, and he says, get up and swab the deck. They jump up and they grab their pails and 
They get their mops and they're just going and going and going and going and going and, and just sweating and it's, it's getting painfully hot and oh, terrible. And, and then here comes Captain Smith. Captain Smith says, gentlemen, gentlemen, what are you doing? Didn't I tell you to rest? Yeah, then why are you working? Do you want to work like, no, we don't want to, but we have to. Why do you have to? Well, Captain Jones told us we had to. Gentlemen, gentlemen, do you not know? Do you not know that he no longer rules you? He's been rendered powerless. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's us as Christians, the evil one. Their old nature screams, lust, you have to lust. Be selfish, you have to be selfish. Be mean, you have to be mean. God says, no, 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 you don't have to do that. Now, the reality is that we have to know, but we don't just see the word know, you see the word consider come into this, which is our second word. Consider is in verse 11, it simply reads this way. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does he mean, uh, consider? What, what, what are you talking about? Well, it means to take into account. In other words, consider what you know. In other words, there are things that we know that we don't have to relearn, but it's as if we don't know them because we don't consider that we know them. Best illustration I can use. Uh, for years and years, I've been a, a big tennis player. And, and through those years, I'd, I'd play matches with different people. And maybe I'm playing a match with someone who is not at the level that I'm at. And I should win. But he feeds it to my backhand over and over. And for some reason, my backhand's just not going. I can't, I can't get it. And I go, and I get beat. And I go home and I'm taking a shower and I'm still puzzled. What was wrong with my backhand? I, I seemed like I was doing everything. And all of a sudden, I go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Look where I had my racket head. I could never from that position get on top of the ball. Ah, oh, that's what it is. Yes. Did I learn something new while taking a shower? No. I considered something that I have known. It's bringing it back to the forefront. So we have to know, but we have to also consider what we know. Now, these first two words, know and consider, uh, they're really describing what I like to think of sometimes as an informed mind. My mind has to be informed to be, to be walking in the spirit. So the first thing I do is I inform my mind of what I know to be true. So that's the time where I can say, Lord, right now, I want to consider what I know. I know that I have died to sin. I know I've been united to you. I know I've been raised up in newness of life. I know that. Ah, let me, let me think about it. Yes, I know that you've done that to me. So I consider what I know. But the last of the terms, the third term we're going to have, uh, it describes a surrendered life. So maybe you remember the no consider and present, which is going to be the third word. But maybe for you, maybe it hit, hits you better to say, I got to remember and I have to surrender. Easy, easy to get that. Remember and surrender. It's the word present. It's found in verse 13. It goes like this. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So what do you mean the members of your body? Well, 
How about your eyes, what you look at, your mouth, what you say, your ears, what you listen to, your hands, what you do, your feet, where you go, your mind, where you dwell in your thinking, your heart, your affections. We can give those away at any point in sin. And then we have to say, oh Lord, oh, now Lord, yeah, I want to consider what I know, but Lord, I have to present to you my members, my eyes, I just lusted. I wanted that so badly and it was wrong. Oh God. I give them back to you. I surrender. Forgive me for taking them. Oh God, my affection and my heart. It got on success instead of, you know, faithfulness. I'm so sorry. I, let, me, let me give that back to you. I'm sorry. And it's a constant going to the altar and just surrender. Surrender. It's remember and surrender. Remember, know and consider. Surrender. Present. I don't know what words help, but... Any way that helps us figure that out. Well, this idea of surrender, I, I couldn't figure it out. I was a young Christian, very young. And I, I was struggling, trying to obey and get where I needed to go. And there was a man in my life, a spiritual man that I just, I, I couldn't imagine. How could anybody walk closer with the Lord than he did? He seemed to be dead to himself. It's like he didn't care about him. He cared about Jesus only. And I was, I just had to know. I said, please tell me, how do you live such a surrendered life? He said, well, let me maybe put it in an illustration for you. Do you do push-ups? And I said, I do. He said, well, what would be the maximum number of push-ups that you can do? And I told him that number. He said, is that really your max? I mean, truly, I said, yeah, I don't even know if I can get that, but that's, that'd be definitely the top. And he says, all right, let's imagine that I'm a very wealthy man. And I say, hey, I give you 10 bucks if you can, if you can get down and hit that number. Right now, I'll give you 10 bucks. Would you do it? I said, sure. So he said, give it a shot. So I go boom, 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 and I do it. And I get to my last one, and it's kind of hard, and I'm shaking a little bit, and boom, oh, okay. And I'm thinking, yeah, I guess I made $10. But right as I finished breaking out my first one, my first set, he, he looks down, and he says, uh, I give you a million dollars if you can do one more. And I go, wow. And he says, do you think you could do one more? I said, I bet adrenaline would kick, you know, probably get me another one. And so what I do, I say, I'm gonna try for that one. And so I go down and boom, and I'm just pushing and pushing and oh, uh, and I go, yes, a million dollars. And he says, and then I lean down and I say, five million if you can do one more. You think you could do it? I said, I don't know. He said, would you try? I said, yeah, I'd try. He said, let me tell you what would happen. The minute you broke your arms, boom, your chest would hit the floor. And you'd probably look up at me and you'd say, I can't. He says, when you get there about dealing with your sin, that's when you'll be empowered. And I remember now so vividly, not too awfully long after that, that I was in a job, not here, but a, another job, and there was an employee that I absolutely couldn't stand. It was a female, and she always was getting upset over nothing and this, that, and the other. And she'd cry and she'd cry and she'd always cry. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And, I, and one day I see her coming in and I said, Lord, I, I don't like this lady and I'm, I'm treating her really, really badly by being rude and kind of, you know, sharp. And I'm gonna, not going to do that today. I'm going I'm to be obedient to you and I'm going to be kind to her. And, if, you know, a few minutes after talking to her again, she's crying and she leaves. And I go, okay, that didn't work. 
And I went through the same hill of temptation. I said, oh, you know, I said, hey, okay, uh, tomorrow, Lord, I promise tomorrow. And tomorrow I saw her again, next day, and she's crying. I don't know what I said. But anyway, um, I'm not that mean either. But uh, something was not right. And I said, okay, God, I'm sorry. Finally, I remember seeing her parking the car. And I remember saying, well, Lord, I'm not going to make that promise again. Because I know I can't. Now, if you want to make it happen, that's your business. And I certainly will will to do so, but I, I just, I can't. I'm just going to tell you, I can't. You're going to have to empower me right now. And I remember at the end of the day saying, oh, what a difference. Look, she didn't cry today. She, there, was no, there was no hard, wow, what happened? I think God said, now, Randy, that's when I show power, when you realize that you cannot. So let me conclude with this. I conclude suggesting that to remember, which is very important, remember and surrender, to remember is to acknowledge that only he and only he can enable us to defeat sin. So hear that. We have to remember. To surrender is to acknowledge that you have absolutely no ability to defeat sin. That's the key right there. And you know what? You can't do either without a true embracing of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of what he's done for us. Not what I'm going to do for you, God. I will do it. I'll do it. No, no, Lord, you've got to do it for me. That's the gospel. That's the work of Christ on our behalf. That's his empowering us instead of us willpowering for him. It's just a different approach to living the Christian life. And I'll tell you what, you and I could never accomplish any of those things if we're not spiritual people. Natural people can't do that. Well, how do you go from being a natural person to a spiritual person? Well, it's you fall in love. It's like any other marriage. You fall in love. Well, how do you fall in love with Jesus? If I don't love him, how do I love him? So, well, I'm convinced he's the most lovable God-man that you could ever imagine. He's perfect love. You get close enough to him long enough, I bet you're going to fall in love with what you find in him. So why don't you just put yourself in constant exposure to God's word and constant exposure to God's people and see if you don't fall in love with him. And that's when now you're capable because of what he has done for you. Well, if you want to be married, you're going to eventually take some vows, aren't you? What are the vows going to be? Well, they're not what we think of as vows in a marriage because we say, I will. I will do this and I will do that. Well, that's not our marriage. The marriage we have with him is where we say regarding our being saved, I can't. I can't save me. You can. You can save me. And only if you do will I be able to say, I will. That's when you can. But it's always prefaced. It doesn't start with, I will. It starts with, I can't. And you can. So, once married, assume now you're a Christian. You've come into a relationship with him. There's going to be a need to renew over and over and over. You're going to renew your covenant vows. That is your vows with God. You've got to renew them. There's two things that we can do to renew them. One, we repeatedly 
On a daily basis, multiple times a day, we appropriate the power of God's Spirit. And that's when a prayer that initiates it for me, prayer is just the, I mean, it's a ceremony. It's not the, it's not the heart, but I'm expressing the heart as in a marriage. And, I, and I'm going to simply say, Lord, resolved. I'm resolved right now to consider what I know. Pause. Oh, dead, united, raised again. Oh, okay. I, I got to, okay. And now, Lord, I want to surrender. And I'll consider the members of my body as instruments of righteousness, not unrighteousness. So here's my eyes, here's my hands, here's my, and I appropriate the power of God's spirit and say, Lord, I'm going to fail this immediately. I'm going to take the eyes. I'm going to take back this. I'm going to take back. And when I do, I want to be quick to give them back to you. It's not that I'm not going to do it, but I'll be quicker and quicker as I grow in my faith of giving them back and giving it back and giving it back. That's the Christian pilgrimage. That's the Christian life. So repeatedly appropriating the power of God's spirit, but also hear this as we come to the table routinely partaking of God's covenant sign. Come to the table. That's when we renew our vows in the greatest of ways. Only for spiritual people, and only for spiritual people who are members of a church. Not necessarily this one. Anybody who's not truly a member of a church shouldn't be coming to the table. That's a passage where God says a covenant with the church is the covenant with me. It's, there's very similar uh, ramifications. So the two go together. And those who are spiritual, if you're not in a place where you're surrendering as best you know how and seeking to surrender to your challenged areas of sin, well, don't come to the table. If you say, no, I'm not going to obey. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go ahead and keep doing this. And I'm going to keep doing that. I'll do this and this, but I won't do this. I won't do that. Don't come to the table. God warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 not to come on those on that basis. You're going to see that we have little cups. You'll peel the top thin layer off and you'll find a wafer. That'll be the bread. And we'll invite you to take that whenever you choose. Then you'll open the cup, the remaining part, the top, lift it off, and we'll do that together as we close our time. If you need gluten-free, we'll invite you to raise your hand and the ushers will make sure that they find for you the gluten to be able to take care of that. So, folks, this is a time that... The meal will remind us of what we know and consider. So just take a picture of this in your mind. The meal is going to remind us of what we know and consider. Recall the cross. Go to the mind. Relive the anguish. Think about the cross. It may even bring emotion. If it does, fine. If it doesn't, fine. But that's what we know and consider. But number two, the meal also reminds us to present our lives to him. That's where we recommit our vows. So there's the will, mind, emotion, and will. In the two minutes you have, waiting for or after you get the elements, go through the mind, emotion, and will in prayer. End up with that surrender. Remember what he did for you. Surrender because of what he did. And see if you don't have a good short period of time with the Lord for only these minutes but it'll be a sweet time. The table will be prepared as I pray. Let's prepare our hearts. Father in heaven, I pray now as we come to the table that you will grant us to be able to take the table well, keep our mind focused as much as we possibly will be able to by your grace, 
Enable us to do that, to remember and surrender, even as we take this table. May many of us, maybe for the first time, consciously appropriate your power right now. And may we find ourselves, if not believers, if not spiritual people, may we find ourselves hungering to fall in love with you, spending enough time with you to do so, and then being able to come back one day as members of your church to take the table. Blessed we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.